0: Okay, so Leviticus, we're in Leviticus. Why are we in Leviticus? Because it's the Bible and it's good and none of us have ever read it. Um, and we actually, if you've missed or you just want more of Leviticus, we, uh, there's a guy on staff who's behind the scenes, doesn't like any credit, doesn't like anyone to look at him. His name's Matt Smith and he's standing in the back right now. Everyone say thank you for Matt. He hates this, 100% hates it. Uh, he is like our tech genius wizard and... He set up a podcast for Abide. So if you just search Abide on iTunes, th- our Leviticus sermons are there, the past three. So you can listen to Leviticus to your heart's content. That, they're the only Leviticus sermons, by the way, in the world. So it's fun. Um, amen. I have a feeling God's going to just bring it back, Leviticus, but who knows? Maybe not. Um, okay, so to recap really quickly, what have we been learning in Leviticus it's this. Uh, So the first week we're learning God loves people and he's holy and we're not, and that's a problem, but God wants to be with people. And so he created this thing called a tabernacle, this tent where we could, if we did these things and got clean and made the right sacrifices, we could actually meet with God. So that's the beginning. Um, And then the second week, we learned that he made a way for our sin to be covered so that we could be holy, so that we could actually approach him. Uh, And then the last week we learned that God doesn't just wanna cover your sin. He like wants all of your life and your belongings. That's the grain offering. And so it's like offering all of, you can't hold anything back from the Lord. And then tonight, um, tonight he's the, the essence of chapter three, the peace offering is this. God actually wants to be with you. And hang out with you and like actually have a meal with you um and i'll be honest maybe you're like okay that's 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 cool um and that's fine that's honestly how i felt on monday when i was reading leviticus chapter three and i was like oh what are we gonna do um and and it was honestly the most difficult one so far and i was like this is just it's basically exactly the same as chapter two but it's called a peace offering and i'm like well that'll be a good sermon Um, But then I was reading and I was looking at cross-references and there's actually some nuggets in Leviticus 7 about the peace offering. So what we're gonna read right now, if you have your Bible, flip to Leviticus 3. We're gonna read Leviticus 3, which is 1 through 17. And then we're actually gonna get a few bonus verses from Leviticus 7, uh, from 11 to 16. And that's gonna help kind of frame what tonight is about. Um, so let's read Leviticus 3 and then Leviticus 7, 11 through 16. Here we go. Please God bless it. Leviticus 3. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, he, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, which is like the intestines, As a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then he's basically gonna say the same thing but with different animals, okay? If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, kill it in front of the tent of meeting, Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord then if his offering is a goat he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord the fat that is covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins and the lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All Fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. And then super quick, flip to Leviticus seven. What the heck did we just read? Uh, There's we're gonna read eleven to sixteen. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, Little clue. Then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten clue, on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it till morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, these are all types of peace offerings, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. All right, the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to please bless it. Jesus, thank you for Leviticus. Uh, thank you for this peace offering we believe it's, it's just as much your word as, as any verse that talks about how good you are, God. Um, we confess, Lord, like we need you. We actually need you tonight to show up. It would be a shame if this was just a time to sing and a time to hear some cool thoughts. Lord, we, it would be such a shame. We need you, God. And I just pray right now that you would, um, you would allow this room, you would allow each one of us to ourselves, like individually approach you and listen to you and engage with you, God. I pray against any kind of like, I'm just checking this out. I'm checking out the Lord. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like consuming. I'm sitting back. I'm judging. I'm wondering how the music is and what the volume is. And if this is a good sermon or not, Lord, we, we just say no, we don't. What a waste of our time and our energy to do those things. Lord, we need you. Like we actually need to be with you, and we need to hear from you. We've had a hard week, maybe a hard year, Lord. We, like we have sin. We, our souls need you, God. And so I just pray that you would graciously help us see past ourselves and our own thoughts and even our own issues in our life right now, and you would help us to fix our attention on you, Jesus. For you are far, far better than anything else this world has to offer. Would you help me now to explain this in a way that's helpful and um, to be honest to, to what your word says? We thank you for your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we as human beings were made, this is a good thing, we were made to seek to be satisfied. Okay, that's a good thing. Like God actually made your body to be depleted and then refilled and to to make that experience satisfying. Just think about that. God did that. He didn't have to, we didn't have to, like food didn't have to taste good. We didn't have to get hot and like jump in the ocean and it feels good. Like, but God made our bodies to seek satisfaction. And that's a good thing. Like for me, uh, it's usually in and out when I eat in and out, like I did today. It's so satisfying. And it's like, yes, yes. Uh, Or for me, it's like, a good meal with friends or family or just my wife and for, I need to, I, it's whatever, but I need to put my feet up and like recline and I'm like satisfied, I'm good. Even though there's just mess everywhere, uh, I'm, I'm satisfied. Um, so that's a good thing. God made you with nerves and like skin and a stomach that is designed to seek satisfaction. And he made your soul the same way it's a good thing god made your soul your heart your soul to desire satisfaction that's a good and right thing god made our souls the same way he made our bodies we we get depleted we all know what that's like and then we seek satisfaction we seek satisfaction uh there's this guy pascal i think he said um happiness is at the root of every human action including those who kill themselves. It's like at the bottom of what we do. At the reason, the motivation for everything we do is we're seeking satisfaction. Um, there's a story of this guy in 1946. He was an American rabbi, so he was a Jewish rabbi. And he wrote a book called Peace of Mind, which was about this, uh, which 1946, anyone know what was going on, 1946. World War II, so that's that book's gonna sell well during World War II. And he wrote this book called Peace of Mind, and for 58 weeks it was the number one book on the New York Times. 58 weeks, 58. So if you just make it for a day, you get to put on your book New York Times bestseller. 58 weeks, that's over a year. It was the number one book. Um, and do you know it's so ironic and sad is that everyone was like, oh, this is so good. And he became so popular and so sought out that uh, he just began to get stressed and he died of a stress-induced heart attack at the age of 41, two years after he wrote his book called Peace of Mind. The guy who wrote the book, who everyone's like, this is the best ever, died of stress two years later, okay? So peace of mind, we want that and then like we just get broken, we lose it. Like that's a, that's a true story. And the offering tonight is the peace offering, the peace offering. That word peace, if in verse one, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, uh, it's in Hebrew, in the English way, it's, it's salem, salem, S-A-L-E-M, salem. Uh, It's related to the word shalom, but it's a specific word that's just for the offering. So it's like the shalom offering. If you know what shalom means in Hebrew, it means like peace, it means wholeness, like healing, wellness, like satisfaction, like I'm good. All things are right in the world. That's what shalom means. So this offering in some sense has to do with like seeking that peace, seeking that like wholeness. Uh, Another word that some translations use, I I forget which ones they are, but they substitute the word peace with fellowship. So some people call it the fellowship offering, not the peace offering. And here's the reason why they call it a fellowship offering. It's the only offering in all the Bible that the person who's giving it gets to eat it. It's the only one. And it's called a fellowship offering because the picture is you get to have a meal with the Lord, that's like what it is. It's just the peace offering is you offer it and you get to eat with God. God is making a statement like, yes, your sins need to be covered. Yes, I want all of your life. But now I like wanna eat with you. I guess you wanna hang out with you. I want to be with you. And it's symbolically like happening over a meal. So the big idea uh, is, so God provided a way for us to be at peace with him through the burnt offering. And now, we can freely approach him and have fellowship with him and eat a meal with him. Um, this, on, the, on the surface, this offering is almost identical to the other two, like the procedure, the blood, it's got to be perfect, animal, you put your hand on it. Uh, but there are, after careful reading, at least four unique aspects of this offering that are actually really good when you start to dig what does this mean. Um, And the first one is this. So four points of the sermon, four aspects of the peace sermon. The first is this. This offering was given on an occasion of thanksgiving. Remember that in Leviticus 7, verse 12, it said, if he offers it for thanksgiving. Okay, so the peace offering, I'll say that, uh, actually I'll say that. The peace offering um, had many different occasions you could offer it. And the first one was thanksgiving. Um, So the big idea is like, When you feel thankful to someone for something in your life, typically there's like a response. Like, isn't it the worst when, well, we were those kids, like you you open some present from your grandma and it's lame and you're like, throw it aside. And like your grandma's just like, oh, that's such a bummer, right? Like there should be something of like, thank you grandma for this present. Like when we, when you are all parents and you have little kids and you just, you're so stoked to give them this present and they're like like crying because it's not the right color there's something in you that's like, this is wrong, right? Like you're supposed to respond with thankfulness to what I've done for you. And this offering is that picture. Like when we understand what God has done, we should respond and give thanks to him. And, and specifically like, thanks God for covering my sin, like that's, it's, it's coming after the burnt offering. And uh, okay, so now here's some little details. Did you notice it kept talking about like the kidneys and the liver over and over and over again, like the kidneys and the liver? There's, uh, in that culture, when, when we talk about our heart, they refer to it as your kidneys. So like, oh, I love you God with all my heart. They actually use the same, same meaning, but they use the word kidneys because for whatever reason, they thought like, you know, when you have that feeling of love or excitement or just you're like deep in you, uh, they were like, yeah, that's your kidneys. So that's what they call it, your kidneys. That comes from your kidneys. So in that culture, I love you with all of my kidneys was a thing. It was actually a thing. And then the liver was like the deepest seated thing in you. And here is the point. Uh, And I was, I'm gonna read a little quote from this commentary if you wanna get it. I don't even know if it's in print because I got it at a used bookstore and it's old. Um, it's a guy named Andrew Bonner, B-O-N-A-R. Andrew Bonner, he's a Scottish guy. He was blessed of the Lord to understand Leviticus. Um, but he said this about why it matters that thanksgiving came from the kidneys and the liver. He said this, when we approach God in thanksgiving, what then can we bring but the most inward feelings of the richest kind and from the depth of the soul? How good is that? What? When we approach God in thanksgiving, what then can we bring but the most inward feelings of the richest kind from the depth of the soul? If you know anything about the liver, you can actually eat it. It's like richer than fat. They, uh, there's this thing, uh, I forgot the word, starts with an F, that they like trap, capture ducks and force feed them till they get fat and kill them just for their liver. Does anyone know what the word is? You guys, are smart. Yeah, it's that foie gras. Uh, it's like the richest thing you could eat ever, maybe besides like bone marrow. And the point is like, God is saying the liver, the richest thing, and the, the kidneys, the deepest, most heartfelt emotion. I want that kind of thanksgiving from you. I want you to give me that kind of thanksgiving. He's, God desires like your heart. He desires your emotion. He doesn't in fact, we see he's like over it when we just do the religious duties, when we just like, oh, I'll raise my hands or I'll sing or I'll do what I have to do because I'm supposed to. God's like, I hate when you do that. Like, I want your heart. I want the deepest, most richest kind from the depth of the soul, thanksgiving. That's what God is saying. I, that's what I want from you. And then uh, in verse five of chapter three, notice this. Uh, it was placed on top of the burnt offering. And that's significant like last week. It's this, when you give thanks to God, it's not like making you right with God. It's not forgiving your sins, but it's the proper response that comes after you've been made right with God. When you've been made right with God, our response should be like, thank you, Lord. And um, a cheap shot for every pastor or worship leader ever is to be like, you know how you weren't just singing or weren't, Raising your hands. You know how that, like, you were just kind of blah, blah, blah. Like, God calls us to give all of our soul, and He's worthy of that. And that's, that's actually true. It's a cheap shot, but it's true. He's worthy of the deepest affection. And um, to be honest, like, I stand there and I'm like, oh, I know I'm supposed to, but I'm not really feeling it. Um, and I, I wonder why it is that we don't offer to God, like, that deep, rich thanksgiving. Um, And I think sometimes it's because like we don't even really understand what he's done for us or we don't see the depth from which we've been rescued or we don't see how helpless we were until he came and got us. There's this crazy story. I think it's Ezekiel 16 where it's this parable and God says, do you know what you were like? You were like a baby that was born in a field covered in all your afterbirth and you were abandoned and you were wallowing in your own blood. And I came, and I picked you up, and I cleaned you off, and I clothed you, and I raised you. God's saying, like, that is a picture of what we were before we came to God. And I think if, I don't think we really think that. We're like, I'm doing fine, and I was doing fine. Uh, we, don't, we don't feel the thankfulness after, like, rescue, because I don't think we always remember like the peril that we are in. Like, here's a little picture. Let's say you're in an airplane, and you get shot down by who knows, Russia, and uh, you're lost at sea for 40 days. That doesn't work. Uh, maybe it works. You're lost in the Atlantic Ocean for 40 days, uh, and you're like barely surviving, and like you're almost gonna die, and it rains, and you're like just barely surviving. And then you're like, you're about to die. And then someone comes and rescues you. Like you are so from the depths of your soul. Like, thank you. Thank you. I think what happens is it's more like, okay, we're in a plane and Russia sends a missile and like we shoot it down and we don't even know that we were just rescued and we show up and we're just cruising along. Someone's like, hey, did you know your plane could have gone? You're like, oh, that's crazy. Cool. Thanks. I'm like, I'm thankful for my military. But like, you don't, we don't just feel it. I think we forget our situation before Jesus rescued us. Uh, really quick, Jesus talks about this in Luke 7, which if you want to flip there, you can. Luke 7, verse 36. This is one of those times when Jesus is like, has some guts. Luke seven, thirty-six. Uh, so one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house He reclined at the table. That's how you're supposed to eat. And behold, a woman of the city, in case you don't know what that means, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Now just side note, you're at like a guy's house for dinner. And this sketch woman walks in at the table and is standing behind Jesus. Everyone's like, what is happening, okay? This is a true story. She, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, which this is awesome because he's like, if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know. And Jesus is like reading his mind. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So like picture this dinner scene and he's, he's looking at this woman and he's talking to the Pharisee, okay? Turning to him, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house But you, imagine saying this to your, like, host. But you, I lost my place. Blah, 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 blah. I just read the Bible. It's better. Where am I? verse? 43. Help me, Lord. Okay, 46, 46. He turns and he says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she, I'm 45, you, what am I doing? (laughs) 44. We're going to start at 44. Thank you. Turning... Toward the woman, he said to Simon, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time she, the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet." You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. I have to ask you, like, honestly, which one are you in the story? Like, which one do you honestly resonate with? Like, how do you treat Jesus? How do you worship Jesus? Do you just kick back and observe and wait and you're like judging someone else who's worshiping? Like, I do that. I think we all have done that. Or are you like, honestly, I'm gonna go into this stranger's house and I'm gonna completely embarrass myself and I'm gonna pour out everything I have to Jesus. And she, what the key was is she knew who she was. She knew who she was. She knew what she deserved. She knew her sin. Are you able to identify more with a prostitute or are you able to identify more with like, I'm just kind of kicking? Honestly, because because if you don't identify the prostitute, it makes sense why this worship isn't like this heartfelt from the kidneys. Jesus, you are so good. But when you see what when what Jesus has done for you, like that, that's what happens. So that's the first aspect of the peace offering, uh, thanksgiving. The second one is unique and weird and really removed from our culture. If you want to flip back to Leviticus seven verse sixteen. If the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering. Okay, a vow offering. What is a vow offering? What even is a vow? Has anyone made a vow like in the past year? Maybe, that's cool. But I think a vow is so far removed from our culture. um, Partially because we just don't like keeping our word at all. So why would we make a vow? I will be there. Like, I will do this. Uh, Vows are really far from us. But in the Bible... Uh, they, they were pretty crazy. And okay, a vow in the Bible was not something you had to do ever. The Bible never says you must make a vow, but it does say if you make a vow, you better fulfill it. And uh, listen to these two verses, uh, maybe just one verse. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 7 about keeping your word slash vow. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Oh, I didn't mean that. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So vows were like a big deal. And if you don't, God's like, you're a fool okay, what? Okay. Uh, two crazy vows. Hannah, this uh, woman in the Old Testament couldn't have a baby and she was old, like menopause, everything done, couldn't have a baby. She's like, went to the Lord crying and she said, Lord, if you give me a baby, I will just give him back to you. I won't even keep him. And God's like, okay. And so she has a baby and which is a miracle because she couldn't have a baby. And that baby that boy became Samuel which was like one of the most legit prophets in the old testament who like anointed all of the kings that's where Samuel came from Samuel like grew up in a church building like in the synagogue or whatever like he actually like slept like on the stage he's like that's what he did that's how he grew up he didn't get to grow up at home his mom is like thanks mom for giving me away but it was cool it's a good life uh there's this other vow in judges if there's any book crazier than Leviticus, it's judges. Uh, this guy named Jephthah, and he was a judge, he was a rescuer, and he was going into battle, and he's like, God, if you allow me to succeed, when I get home, whatever I f- see first, whatever my eyes see first, I'll, s- I'll kill it. And God's like, okay. God says, okay, he gives him victory. They're all stoked, he's coming home, and his only kid, his daughter, walks out of the house. And, he's, and then he's like, what are you doing? And he like scolds her and she's like, what? And so, and this weird thing, she's like, okay, just give me three months and I'll go to the mountains and cry for my virginity and then you can kill me. And then he killed his daughter. That's what happened in the Bible. God's like, you better honor that vow. So vows were really important and crazy in the Bible. Um, So you could make a vow. And then when you fulfilled your vow, you were to go make a peace offering to God. Like God, I've done what I'm supposed to do here is my offering. It's it's such a hard thing for us to relate to. Um, But the point is this, the peace offering wasn't required of you. It was an optional offering. God's like, you don't have to make a vow. You don't have to come eat a meal with me. But if you do, I want you to do it right and I want you to eat with me. And so this vow is this thing, you don't have to do it, but you're like, God, if you blah, 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 I will blah, blah, blah. And then when God does it, you're supposed to go and have a meal with God and like thank him. Thank you, God. That's uh, the vow thing. And, and all I would say on a vow, the last thing I would say on a vow is, hey, we're 18 to 30-ish. We are the worst in the whole world at keeping not even vows, but our words. So let's work on that. God's like, hey, you're a fool if you don't keep your word. So there's Psalm 15 says, the one who God looks to is one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. So like, I know I said that, but I don't wanna do that because that's better. Like, nope, I will do it and it's gonna hurt, but I will do it. Uh, So maybe we could just grow in that. I need to grow in that. We could probably grow in that. Be on time, do what we're supposed to do, have a vow. Uh, And then when you finish that, when you honor that, God's like, cool, good job, come eat with me. So that's the vow, more obscure, what is that? The third point to the peace offering is this. Uh, Verse 15 in chapter seven says, Is that right? Let me see. Yep. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. Okay. So the point here is, and actually I I forgot to write it down. The last part, the last was thanksgiving, vow, and then free will. That's what the last type of vow is. It's in chapter seven somewhere. Uh, It's a vow or a free will offering. The point is this you don't have to come be with God. But God's like, if you want to come hang out with me on your own free will, you just want to come be with me, you can do that. And a peace offering is when you can come hang out with me. And do you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat together. God's like, I want, there's no other reason for free will offering but to give it at your own free will and to eat with God. And um, I want to remind us that when we worship, like we do actually bless the Lord, which is cool. God's like stoked. He's like, ah, oh, that's good. Uh, but we get blessed. Like the more you worship Jesus, the more it blesses you. Uh, like we get to like feast on God as we worship. You are made, like we're made to get filled up when our attention is not on ourself. Like we are made that way. The more I'm like, even in a relationship, like not what I want and what this person can do for me, when I'm like blessing that person, it, it fills our cup. And it's the same way with, with God. The more I'm able to like, take my eyes off of myself and look at the Lord like it blesses me. It's like a feast. I get to be uh, be feasting on God. And and think about this. God is like, I want to share a meal with you. Now, we have the context of Jesus and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. But like at that time, the fact of like God's like, you make an offering and you run away. God's like, no, stay. I want to eat with you. I actually wanna hang out with you. I wanna be with you. I wanna be as near to you as the food that goes in your body. God is saying, I want to be that close with you. I wanna be like food for you. And you guys know like there's hardly something more intimate than eating across the table from someone. That's why we typically just do it with people we know. It's really intimate. You'd like sit there and you're united and you eat with them. It's, it's symbolic to have a meal. And do you know, think about this. Do you know what the first sin was? It was seeking a meal apart from God. Think about that. What, what was it? Like it was, it was a meal, it was food. It was like, no, I wanna eat the way I wanna eat over here without Jesus. I got this. I, I wanna have a meal apart from God. Just think about that. The, the first sin was like a stiff arm to the Lord. Like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to hang out with you. And I, I can feel in my soul that that's in me. I can feel that. Like in the morning when I like open my Bible, my heart is like, I don't really want to do this. Like how wicked, of the, like the Lord is like, come. And we're like, I'm good. Um, and in Leviticus three, God is reversing that. God is saying, okay, you don't wanna eat with me? How about this? I'll invite you over to dinner. Think about that. Leviticus three is God saying, come back and eat with me. I want to be with you. And then we see this, what was so beautiful about the ministry of Jesus is he just took that even further. Not only does Jesus like, hey, I'm gonna have a house and you're all invited. Jesus was so crazy. He was like meeting people and inviting himself over to dinner with them. He's like, hey, Matthew, we're gonna go have a feast with all of your friends. Let's go. And Matthew's like, okay. And he leaves his stuff and he's hanging out with Matthew and all the radical Sinners and tax collectors. Zacchaeus up in a tree. Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. Jesus is showing more of this, like I want to be with you and I want to eat with you. And do you know what's cool? Do you know what the first thing we're gonna do in the new heaven and new earth? We're gonna have a meal with God. We're gonna sit down and have a meal with the Lord. So that's pretty sweet. And then the fourth, always the best point, of the peace offering is this. It's related to a meal, but you may have noticed a seemingly like random but repeated detail in our text, verse uh, chapter 3. I'll read through it. So, verse 3 uh, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails. Verse 4 and the two kidneys with the fat. That is on them at the loins. Verse nine, then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord, it's fat. And he shall remove the whole fat tail. I didn't even know that was a thing. Cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails, he shall remove. Like there's fat. Look again, verse 14. Then he shall offer it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. Verse 15, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them. Verse 16, all the fat is the Lord's. Verse 17, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places that you eat neither the fat nor the blood. Like I I should have counted how many times the word fat was used in the peace offering. Um, And so if you're kind of paying attention, you're like, okay, I get to eat a meal with the Lord, but like, I don't eat, I don't get to eat the fat. Now, if you're not into steak and that's okay. But if you are into steak, I will have to say the fat is like the best part. It's the richest, most tender, like I need a bite of fat in every bite because it's just so good. And, and honestly, it's like, okay, that's cool. I get to eat a meal with the Lord, but like, why is he messing with my steak? Like why is he like, yeah, yeah, but he's like cutting around it and then he eats the fat and I'm like left with the, the steak. Um, that's the that's the best part it's the richness, the goodness, the flavor. And and like let's let's be honest for a moment. I think sometimes if we are honest, it feels like God is taking my steak. Like he's messing with my steak. He's mess he's taking from me. God, you're good and that's cool, all the things you've done, but like, why are you messing with my stake? Why are you asking me to give you something? It feels like when I follow Jesus, sometimes like I'm actually, mi- I'm missing out. Like I look at their life and their life and their life and I see what I'm not supposed to do. And I'm like, man, I'm missing out on the fact, the goodness, the richness of life. I feel like God is into taking. God is into taking. Is it really worth it? And, and you know what's crazy? Uh, this is a free will offering. You don't have to do it. So you could eat the fat at home. You don't have to like give the fat to the Lord. And do you know what else? The reality is if you lived your life apart from God, you will find some measure of satisfaction. That's just true. You can enjoy a steak and it's good and it satisfies you. And you're like, I'm good for the night. I'm okay, I don't, I don't have the Lord, but like, honestly, that sake was so good and I'm gonna fall asleep. Like, in a deeper sense, like, I love, you could be like, I love what I do. I love my work. I love my spouse. I love the food I eat. I love whatever, you like, we have things that we love and they're good things and they can satisfy us to an extent and we can be good. Like, like we all know people in the world, they're not walking around miserable every day, I hate my life, and this is the worst. Like, people are, like, eating and drinking and being merry and happy. There is satisfaction that you can find on this planet, and that's true, and, and we know that, and we've all like, probably experienced, no, like, sin was actually kind of good. It was satisfying. I actually liked it. <clears throat> There's part of me that felt bad, but, like, part of me really liked the fat on that steak. Um, I think we need to be honest. i like, yeah, that's true, Um. But here's the thing. You would be missing out on something else. You'd be missing out on fellowship with the Lord. And the point, this is so important, the point of offering the fat to the Lord, listen, the point is a statement that says this. I don't need the fat because the Lord is enough. Because the Lord is enough like the fat that satisfies me. And so I'll give Jesus the fat on my steak because it's a statement that I'm okay without it because Jesus, fellowship with Jesus will be my fat, will be my satisfaction. It will actually be the richest part of my existence. Yes, I just offered that, that fat over, but I am gaining Far, something far richer and far more satisfying in return. Listen to these two verses from Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul, listen to this, will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Do you know what the best part of the marriage supper of the lamb will be, it actually won't be the steak. It'll be you hanging out with Jesus. That will actually be the best part. And do you know what? Do you know what the single greatest lie of Satan over your life is? When you go to Jesus, you are missing out. That is the lie of Satan. When you go eat with God, you're missing out. That's literally the lie of Genesis three. God, did he really say, is he really that good? Maybe you, like when you were hanging out with Jesus, Satan is saying, you're missing out. You're missing out on that fat. You're missing out on that goodness. And listen to this. Do you know what the best part of the gospel is? The cross, when Jesus shed his blood, it's actually not that you've been forgiven. The best part of Leviticus so far is not Leviticus one, the burnt offering, You know what the best part of the cross is, is that it makes you right to enjoy God. It brings you to be at peace with God. It it brings it like you can you can be reconciled to the greatest being in the universe. That's the good news of the gospel. Yes, that's awesome that he died for me and took away my sin, but why is that good news? So that I can be with God. I can be with, in in his presence is the fullness of joy. Think about this, I love this imagery. We all experience joy, we all long for joy, we all look for joy, we've all experienced joy, satisfaction in life. The best thing you've you've ever experienced in life, that's a good gift is like a drop that fell out of a fountain and, and the source of the fountain is Jesus. Okay, so, so listen, it's good to enjoy God's good gifts. It's really good. All God's gifts, awesome. They're, they're awesome, they're good, they satisfy. But like, that's a drop and there's actually like the source and you can find it and you can actually experience more joy than a mere drop. Like the greatest Listen, the greatest pleasure you've ever experienced is a drop from the fountain that is the Lord. And do you know what the new earth will be? It'll be, you will infinitely be growing in your capacity for joy. And guess what? God is infinite. You will never reach the end of joy. You will never reach the end of being satisfied. Like you will never, ever. And how insane would it be? to trade in an eternity of joy for like some little things, some, some good little things right now. How actually insane would that be? Uh, enjoying God is actually the key to fighting sin in your life. Did you know that? Did you know that it's the key to fighting sin? Enjoying Jesus, enjoying a superior pleasure is the way to not give in to a lesser pleasure, right? Like we understand this. Imagine uh, your mom was like, hey, come over for dinner. I'm gonna make you your favorite meal in, the, in your whole world. And, uh, and you're like so stoked and you're like intentionally starve yourself and you're just getting ready to go. And right before you're about to leave, there's this box of like week old donuts sitting on the counter, but you love donuts. And they look good right now because you are so hungry. We've, I've been there and I've eaten the donuts, okay? But the key to not eating those donuts is to know that there's something better coming. There's something actually better coming. have uh, you guys heard, I wish I remember the name. Uh, it's like an ancient Greek tale. I think it's Onesimus and he's in a boat and they're like trying to go somewhere and there's these sirens like mermaids calling and like they get sidetracked. Did I say it wrong? What is it? Odysseus, see, isn't Onesimus a thing? I don't know, who knows. Uh, and so like, they're gotta go on this mission, but they, they pass, all these boats can never get past these sirens because they're beautiful and they sing and they lead all the guys astray. And what is typical is for the captain to be like, hey, just tie me to the mast, just tie me down and I'll just make it through. And they're going and he's like, don't listen to me. And he's tied down and, he's, and then eventually he's like, no, we have to go and no boat made it past. And Odysseus, I think, says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get, I'm probably going to botch it, but I'm going to get the best musicians and they're going to be on board and they're going to sing a better song than those sirens and when I'm just going to be consumed with the goodness and it will get me past this temptation. Did you know that's how you defeat any sin in your life? You are offered a feast with, that is the Lord. That is how you get past this sin, that is good maybe like some rotten donuts, but it'll be good in the moment, It's I will feast, I will literally glut myself on Jesus. I will get up in the morning and I will fight through and I will get filled with him so that when I'm passing temptation, I know there's something actually better. You guys have probably heard the C.S. Lewis quote. He's like, we are far too easily pleased. You know what the problem is? It's not that you have these passions and it's like, oh, I can't restrain my passion. He's like, you're selling yourself short. Every time you give in to sin, he says you're like a child who's making mud pies. When he's been offered, he says his British thing, a holiday at the sea. Basically like, don't make mud pies. There's something better. We do that. We are far, every time you give in to temptation, you're far too easily pleased. You're settling for something far less. And here's an encouragement. The point of following Jesus is not to not sin. It's not to not sin. How about that radical thought? The point is to enjoy Jesus. That's the point. And Jesus has made a way for you to come and enjoy the richness of him. Couple quick points that how this plays out. If if some of you uh, feel called to ministry or to missions, uh, I want you to know that the key to good ministry is actually being with Jesus, not like being really good at something. In Mark 3, the first thing Jesus did with his disciples said he brought them up on a mountain that they might be with him. And then after they were with him, he would send them out. Um, And I know some of us, I think it's a good thing, we have this desire to like, no, I gotta do things for the Lord. There's people perishing. I gotta reach the nations. My school's a mess. This is like, and uh, Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And then the next phrase is, I will be exalted. You need to be still. Like God's saying, I got this. You need to be still and to be with me. That's the key to ministry. And not only the key to ministry, it's more important than ministry. When Mary and Martha were like, Martha's doing all this stuff and Jesus is like, hey, Mary is doing the thing that is better and she's sitting at my feet. So if you're like called to ministry or loving ministry, what you need to do is go be with Jesus. Um, I think... I may have just two more things. Do you know to be with Jesus is the purpose of the whole Bible and every sacrifice that you're going to read and we're going to read together in Leviticus? Jesus in Mark 12 said to love God with all the heart is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Do you know if you want to like fulfill the whole law it's love God. Be with God. Love Him. It's better than the whole book of Leviticus to just be with God. And the last little point, sub-point to here is to be with God's actually the purpose of why you exist. We at this age, like we're trying to find our purpose and we have like sub-purposes and we want to find out what we're supposed to do. Um, but a bunch of smart theologians back in the day made this thing called the Westminster Catechism. And the first line is the chief end of man or humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. My favorite Theologian says to enjoy him by, to glorify him by enjoying him. You know the best way to glorify God? It's not to try hard, it's to enjoy him. It's that he's better to you than anything else. That's proof, that's proof that Jesus is good to you. And so um, I wanna close with this question because I know, so that's, that's the goodness is to be with the Lord. And then there's practical questions like, okay, yeah, but like, what does that mean? And how do I have fellowship with God? And how do I actually enjoy God? I can't see him. Is he just a feeling? Am I just supposed to come to church as much as I can and like sit there and try to enjoy God? Um, and the truth is, it, it's actually gonna require something of you. It actually requires effort. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 14 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this isn't just like a passive thing, Sadly. If you want joy, if you want to enjoy Jesus, it's going to require, like we learned from the Thanksgiving offering, your whole heart. And let me ask you: Like, are you are you pursuing the Lord with your whole heart? Uh, really practical. In the morning, I'll just say this: Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Uh, I read this this the other day. Satisfy us in the morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, like you need to be satisfied in the Lord in the morning. It helps, helps you get through your day. Uh, Another thing to do is to actually ask God, God, help me, help me, help me. As we have our time of worship, God, help me. Honestly, I don't want this, help me. Uh, Jeremiah 33 says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, call to me and I will answer you. Think about that. If you, as we worship right now, If you call to God, God, come meet with me, he will answer you. He doesn't lie. He's not a liar. He says, I will answer you. A hard one, how do I experience the goodness of God is actually obedience. Obedience, the more we disobey God and and eat the donuts, are like the less appealing that feast seems all of a sudden. There's this quote that says, even the smallest penny, the, the most worthless thing, a penny, if you hold it close enough to your eye, it'll block out the sun. It'll block out everything. The most worthless sin in your life, if you're holding it, so like you're not gonna enjoy Jesus. You're you're like stuffing your your soul with junk food. And so yeah, you're not gonna like wanna go eat something good and rich and better because you're stuffed. Like obeying Jesus is actually freedom and it's enjoying Jesus. It's like, I'm not gonna sin Because I believe that when I don't, I'm gonna enjoy who Jesus is and that's better. Uh, Another one is sing to him. It's, remember when they made the temple and God, they did all this stuff and it wasn't until the singers sang and the presence of God fell. And it says they couldn't even like be in the temple. There's this Psalm 22, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. The old school King James says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. You wanna experience God? Like sing to him. This is a fun one if you're a nature person. Uh, Go be in God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Another one, when we love each other well, God actually like shows up in some crazy sense. 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. Two more. Uh, This is a fun one when you're at this age. Finding out your gifts and your calling and the things that you love to do is, is there's joy, you get to enjoy like how God made you and that's good and right. There's this story uh, called the chariots of fire and this guy says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Like God actually gave you gifts and made you a certain way and when you like discover that, it like, you feel the, the presence and pleasure of God. That's good and right. It's like, God made me to be a wrench but like, I thought I was a hammer and it's, it sucks and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is right, I was made for this. I was made for this. This feels right. And I'll say this. Do you know how you find those things? You plug into a local church. That's just the truth. You want to find out how God made you? You need to be in community. You need to be serving. And that is the place where you find out how God made you. You're not going to find out sitting there in your room, wondering, reading books. That's not how it's going to happen. Go, go serve and engage and plug in and you'll, you'll come to life. And then the last one is this. Repentance. There's this verse in Acts 3, Paul's preaching to a bunch of unbelievers and he says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. So tonight as we worship, we all have many, many sins in our life. We do. And as we repent to the Lord, refreshing comes and the presence of the Lord comes. And I know this, this will be the last thing. I know some of you have maybe tried some of these things and will still say, yeah, but like, God didn't show up. What happens when God doesn't show up? What happens when I'm trying and I'm seeking and I'm doing what I can and like, it's just silent? That's a real question. I've had those moments. If you haven't, it's those moments come in the Christian life. And I want to encourage you with this. At the cross, Jesus also experienced that he actually experienced like silence from heaven. He actually, Jesus experienced that. Heaven went silent. And, and not only did heaven go silent, then he, then he began to like suffer the wrath for our sin. And, and there are times when God goes silent and there are times when we're like, what are you doing, Lord? And are you real? And if you're in one of those seasons, I want you to say this, trust that somehow as in the cross, Somehow God is still good, and somehow God is still working. It didn't make any sense on the surface, but through the cross, God was saving the world. And three days later, He showed up and He rose from the dead. And what I would say is this maybe you're like on Good Friday, maybe you're on Saturday, and you're like, God is nowhere to be found. I would say, I would say, hold on. I would say, don't give up and trust. I I would say, Keep seeking. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I would just encourage you, like, to keep seeking. And I know God is good, and I know He does respond, even though there are seasons like that. Because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is better than anything. He is the source of your joy. And so, um, I'm going to invite Brian up. And um, we're going to have this time to seek the Lord and. I know it's different. Uh, I know it's long. The um, time is eight. We'll have like about 32 minutes to seek the Lord. That's it. That's the last time you get to seek the Lord. Just kidding. Um, and we have a couple things built in to help this go well. Um, and I want to encourage you guys. You actually, if you're a Christian, like there's this thing called the priesthood of all believers. You actually like get to act like priests to one another and pray for one another. And God wants to use you. So, like if, if maybe you're going through something, like share it with somebody. And maybe you, if you have a heart to do that, like pray for people, pray for your friends. Ask them like, how are they doing? Um, ask them like, what donuts are they settling for? Like pray together, Lord, help us, help us to enjoy you. Be the fat, be the richness. Um, so do that. We have, uh, we're gonna have prayer team. They're gonna wear a little lanyard on both sides. Um, there's this beautiful thing. Jesus will forgive your sins in your seat. But healing comes through confession, which is amazing. So I, I would just say if there's some sin in your life, like it's, there is something actually to confessing our sins. doesn't make us right with God, but it brings some healing. So I would say do that to your friends or to someone at, up, up at prayer. Uh, we have these carpets for like the physical postures. It, it, our bodies get helped when we like humble ourselves before the Lord, like when we kneel, when we put our face on the ground. Um, if do whatever you need to do like you can move the tape you can go in any row you can lay down um and then the last thing i'll, I'll say is this last week we i kind of opened it up if the lord speaks to you like you some of you have prophetic gifts and the body needs those gifts um if you're like hearing from the lord i'm gonna be sitting right here and you can come and be like hey i feel like the lord's told me this um it happened last week and it was awesome and it was like the lord um be ready. I may. I'm kind of like critical. I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's the Lord, but like, but I want you to like come and share and be open and like, I think the Lord is saying this. That's something we we should be doing together. Um, so we are gonna pray, and I'm gonna my prayers. I'm gonna read this verse from Philippians, and then we'll we'll seek the Lord. But whatever gain I had. We wanna use every and any means we can to get to you. You're the fat, you're the, the goodness, the richness, you're better. We'll give, you, we'll give you the fat, we'll give you the things in our life that we love because, because it's actually rubbish compared to you, Jesus. To know you is the, is the fullness of joy. Jesus, help us now. Help us, help us not be like that Pharisee and we're just gonna sit back and we're gonna be critical and we're okay. Jesus, have mercy on us and help us to see our need for you. Help us to see what you've rescued us from. Thank you for the cross and thank you that it brings us to God who we can come and be with. We can be at peace with. We can have fellowship with you, God. I know all of us, we've just scratched the surface of what it is to know you, Jesus. We ask that you would allow us to even taste and see a little bit more tonight that you were good and you were God. Help us to gain Christ tonight.